life has a lot of different seasons. In Michigan, you probably like living in Michigan because of the four seasons. How many of you enjoy four seasons in Michigan? Of course, we're down to two now. There's winter and the orange barrel season, right? <laughs> Those are our two seasons here in Michigan. But even the Christian life, we could say the Christian life is full of seasons. We have our valleys, right? We have our mountaintops. We have our testing. We have our triumphs. I mean, there's lots of seasons. Today, we're going to look at the seasons of life that Moses went through. And uniquely, he went through three seasons that were the same time, the 40 years. In the first season of Moses' life, you're going to see that he tried to make himself into something. Lived in Egypt, he was trying to make something of himself. Often we see that with young people, trying to make something of themselves. In the second season, we're going to see that God made Moses into nothing. It's often that time, that season in which God breaks us down, that training season, kind of uh, chipping away at, at all those things in our life that we thought were important and they're not that really that important. And so he turned uh, Moses into nothing. But then the last season is the most glorious one because God takes nothing and makes it something. And that's the season that most of Exodus is about. But it's the best season, I think. It's, the, the, it's a life of, of purpose, as we like to say around here. Um, but to have God use you and make you more like Jesus. We just sang that song, more like Jesus. If more of you means less of me, then we sing, take everything. Take it all, God. Let, it, let's, let that be our song and our prayer this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we are humbly coming before you. We're not here just to attend a service. We're here to worship you. We're here to get closer to you and understand you more. Father, may your word be revealed to us. May the songs we sing be the anthems of our heart. God, if, if, if less of us and more of you, that's what we want, God. Take everything from us, just like you took it from Moses, so that you can make us into something. Something special that will honor you and glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. So glad that you're here. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I was telling Joe, our elder, uh, in, in the back there, that oftentimes after agape, last week was agape, and we had a lot of food, and it's usually everybody comes out for it. And then the next one, you know, you're tired from Thanksgiving, and you're like, ah, I'll just stay home today. I'll just watch it on Facebook. Um, if you're, if, but you didn't do that. Look at you, you're all here again. It's awesome. Yes, give yourself a hand. So we're here and we're going to be studying Exodus 2 today. And in the New Testament, which is not where Exodus is, Exodus is in the Old Testament, it's the second book. In the New Testament, uh, a book of Acts, uh, which is the Acts of the Apostles, kind of the beginning of the church, how it began. And you're going to, if you ever read the book of Acts, you've read it before, you might recall that, and you get to about chapter 7, and you, you meet a man named Stephen, who becomes the first martyr, killed for his faith. And it kind of really, it really, I mean, it just rocks the church. The church, which started in Jerusalem, 
it kind of just, I mean, it sends, it scatters the church. And, and, and they, they go all out. But that was really God's plan to get them to go and make disciples. So God can use anything. Well, this, this martyr named Stephen, he actually gives an amazing speech. And he talks about what it means to be a Jew and to have this faith in Abraham that began with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Solomon, and David, and and he gives this speech, and in there he talks a lot about Moses, so I'm going to reference some of that today. Um, But his point in saying it is the fact that they were rejecting Jesus. They had rejected Jesus, they had crucified Jesus, and they had done it before. They had rejected Moses. And he, he points out that you're always resisting the Holy Spirit, you're always rejecting the prophets, and now you're rejecting, you've rejected Jesus, who is our Messiah. And uh, he, he's telling them this, and I'm, and I'm teaching through the book of Exodus, not because you're rejecting God, all right? I'm doing it because I want you to see how much in the Old Testament foreshadows the New Testament. How much it goes together. I mean, the Bible is, is 66 different books but it's all one wonderful, glorious story of God's redeeming love for us. It's a beautiful book. It's relevant today. And we all should be understanding it and reading it. And I want you to understand it. So I'm taking this time to just teach this to you through the book of Exodus. And I started with God's promise to Abraham. Back in Genesis, the beginning, the first book, um, Abraham had been uh, given a promise from God. And then that promise is actually part of that promise is fulfilled in Exodus. Because when we opened up the book to Exodus 1, we saw that this nation, well, this family, if you will, of 70, turns into a nation of 2 to 3 million people. I mean, amazing. And I told you that it happened over the course of 400 years. And then I was thinking about this message, and I thought, well, wait a minute, how did, they, how did I know it was 400 years? Because it doesn't say it in Exodus, so where did I get that from? I mean, I kind of just knew that. I'm like, where did I get it from? So I did a little digging, and it's Stephen. Stephen actually is the one who says it. So on the screen, I think you'll see Acts 7, verse 6. But if you have your Bible with you, you're going to want to be open to Exodus 2. We're going to be in Exodus 2. But I'll be referring to Exodus 7 for what Stephen said, and then also in Hebrews 11, which is that faith chapter. I'll be referring to that a little bit as well. So in Exodus 7, 6, God spoke to this effect, that Abraham's offspring would be sojourners, foreigners in a land belonging to other people, and they would be called Hebrews, because a Hebrew means you are from beyond the river. You're Eber, remember last week? And you're a foreigner. We're all Hebrews spiritually. Our citizenship is in heaven. But uh, here we see that it, um, they would be enslaved for 400 years. So Stephen's the one who shares that with us. And that's a long time of silence from God, 400 years between Genesis and Exodus. And I'd just like you to kind of get a, just a, a picture of the timing here. Genesis to Exodus, 400 years, nothing from God. No books in the Bible, no prophets speaking, nothing. Then Exodus 1 we see that these Israelites, these Hebrews, are prisoners in Egypt. And really, they're they're worse than prisoners. I mean, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is trying to control the population, and he makes it legal for any Hebrew baby boy to be killed to control the population. Like, it's legal. Like, you find a baby boy that's Hebrew, you're allowed to kill him, no punishment. 
I mean, that's how bad it was in Egypt for the Israelites, for these Hebrew people. Well, Exodus 2, Moses is born. And in Exodus 2, this is kind of neat, that it's actually 80 years of the life of Moses. All in Exodus 2. So we're covering 80 years today, folks, in Exodus 2. All right? In Exodus 2, we see this birth of Moses. We see um, the first two seasons of his life. And then in Exodus 3 through 40, all right, the next 38 chapters, we're going to see the last 40, season, uh, 40 years, the last season of his life, and that's going to take the whole year of 2023. I hope you'll stick around. <laughs> you will, right? You promise? Everybody raise their right. Actually, there's a Bible in front of you. Put your hand on the Bible. <laughs> you promise in the house of God. All right. Now, 40 years, the, word, the number 40, it's a unique number, isn't it? It shows up a lot in the Bible. If you actually, I'm going to kind of bring it to your attention, how much 40 shows up in the Bible. In Genesis, God flooded the earth with rain, and it lasted 40 days, 40 nights. In Exodus 24, when we get there, Moses will spend 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. The law that God gave to Moses said that you could, um, for a crime, give someone 40 lashes. The Israelites spied out the land in Canaan 40 days. Um, the Israelites had to wander around in the desert for how many years? 40. Before Samson was delivered, Israel, uh, in Israel, he served the Philistines for how many years? 40 years. These are all easy answers. <laughs> Goliath taunted Saul's army for 40 days until David showed up and defeated him. Elijah fled from Jezebel, traveled 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain. In the New Testament, Jesus was tempted in the desert for how many days? 40 and 40 nights. And then how many days between the resurrection and the ascension? 40 days. Now there's a lot of people who really like to look into these numbers. And they like to find the special meanings behind the numbers and the codes and the hidden messages. Don't be like these people. <laughs> okay? 40 is clearly special. Maybe bring me down a little bit. I feel like I'm a little too hot. Um, so the, the, the number 40 is probably a time of waiting, a time of testing. We kind of see that sort of theme, I feel like. But really, it's waiting for God to do what only God can do. Jesus had to wait 40 days and 40 nights. Moses, 40 years. This is why I want to be like Jesus and not Moses. 40 days sounds better than 40 years, don't you think? Yeah. Well, is there a significance? I don't want you to think there... I want you to focus on the fact that 40 shows up and it has um, something to do with, with testing and waiting on the Lord, um, but don't... Don't, don't, don't think there's this hidden message, all right? Don't go, uh, you know, Tom Hanks and all his little movies there uh, on this whole, you know, hidden meaning stuff. Just look at the Bible. The Bible reveals many things to us if we just read it. Skip Heitzig is my favorite teaching pastor out of Calvary Church, uh, New Albuquerque, New Mexico. He points out that the first 40 years, Moses was pampered. The second 40 years, Moses was prepared in the last 40 years, Moses was pastoring. We pastors like our three-point sermons that all start with the same letter. 
Dwight L. Moody, though, the founder of the Great Seminary in Chicago 100 years ago, said the first 40 years Moses was trying to be something. In the second 40, God showed Moses he was nothing. But then the final 40, God took Moses' nothing and made him into something. And that's really the focus here, that God can take nothing and make it into something special. So let's look at the first 40 years of Moses' life, then the second 40, and then you're going to have to be back in 2023 for the the rest. Um, But Exodus 2.2, the woman conceived, bore a son, that's Moses. She saw that he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. Now the word fine is a word, a Hebrew word, tov. I actually put it in parentheses. We bring that back up on the screen, you'll see. So if you were speaking Hebrew to someone, I don't speak Hebrew, I didn't study it, but I did a little bit of research. If you were speaking Hebrew and in the morning, if you wanted to say good morning, you would say boker tav. If it was evening, you would say iriv tav, which means good evening. And if you wanted to say what most people think is congratulations or good luck, you would say Mazel Tov. See, you know that one. But Mazel Tov doesn't actually mean good luck because the word for Mazel actually means to drip down from above. The Jewish people don't believe in luck. They believe in God. So do we as Christians. We don't believe in luck. We believe in God and his sovereignty. So to say Mazel Tov is really to say good blessings from above. From God, dripping down on you. Moses was definitely a good blessing from God. Born to uh, a couple by the name of Amram, that's his father, and Yochebed, that's his mother. Now they honored God and disobeyed the king. Tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty three, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Of course, they were actually afraid of the consequences, they, they realized what could happen, but they feared God more than they feared man. In fact, you could say their faith was bigger than their fear. And I always, when that comes up, i got to stop and ask that question, right? Is your faith bigger than your fear? You have some fear right now. You have some problems going on in your life. You have some issues. Is your faith bigger than your fear? The only way that happens, I believe, is when you really know who God is. When you understand the word, when you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, you begin to see, wow, this God, he's big. He's way bigger than my problems. He can handle everything. And that's how your faith becomes bigger than your fear. Because you have faith, you have trust in God. And you see God as a big, giant God. A God who loves you and cares about you, and he's way bigger than your problems. So that's how your faith can be bigger than your fear. So remember last week, uh, Amram and Yochebed had a, a, a prayerful plan. Uh, bathed in prayer, they, they, they came up with a plan. They put Moses in that uh, boat, right, that basket, you know. Some people say Moses was a basket case. Okay, uh, little trivia question here for you. How many people were saved by an ark? How many people were saved by an ark? And when, as soon as we talk about ark, we think of Noah And I heard somebody yell out, eight people were saved because Noah and his three sons and their three wives, that, you know, Noah's wife, that counts eight. But the truth is, the answer is nine. Because the word for ark is the word teva, and it's the same word used here for Moses. So, next trivia question, trivia night. Not that that question will ever come up, but hey, if it does, how many people were saved by an ark? You can say nine, because Moses was the ninth. He got saved 
uh, by uh, the ark. Exodus 2.9. Moses, the plan was to see if Pharaoh's daughter would have compassion and raise this child, which she did. The cool part about that story, as I mentioned last week, is that Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on this baby, wanted to take on this baby as her own child and raise him, but she couldn't nurse him, and none of her helpers could nurse him. So Miriam, Moses' sister, was there purposely, right? And she suggested that her mom raise and nurse the child. So that happened. And the best part was God said, uh, or, or Pharaoh's daughter said, uh, we'll pay you to do it. And I love that. Kind of reminds me of this story I heard a long time ago. There was a, a godly praying woman who lived next door to an atheist. And when she would pray, oftentimes she would pray loudly with the windows open. And she was praying one time, and the atheist hated it, you know, praying to nobody, what are you doing? And she was praying one time because she was out of work and she had no groceries, she had no food. And she was praying, God, please provide food. Um, I don't have any, I'm hungry and I need food. Well, one day the um, atheist decided to, that he was going to fix her, and he went out and bought a bunch of groceries, and, and he, you know, uh, was uh, real sneaky and put them on her porch when she was away. And, and then she came, she came home and he saw her pull in the driveway and he kind of went to listen to what would happen. And she walked up the, the steps and she saw on her porch groceries. And she said, praise the Lord. He's provided. He provided. Thank you, Jesus. And at that moment, the atheist came over and he's like, God didn't buy those groceries for you. I did. So see it, you know, Whatever he said, you know, I'm sure it wasn't polite. <laughs> and she thought for a second, and she looked at him, and she smiled, and she said, Praise the Lord, God bought me groceries and made the devil pay for it. <laughs> Love it. Put him in his place. I think that's how Moses' parents felt, <laughs> to be honest. They're going to raise my baby boy, and they're going to pay for it. Well, Moses grew up in the house says in verse 10, of Pharaoh. That means he lived a pampered life. He was royalty. Pharaoh's daughter was raising Moses. So the child grew older, it says, uh, uh, became her son. I began to think about, well, what did that mean exactly? Like, what was culture like in Egypt when this was going on? And the answer to that is the Pharaoh, or the Egyptians, were extremely wise and intelligent. So that means that Pharaoh went to a school, uh, he learned from the best in the land. In fact, Stephen points it out, I think I put this in here, uh, this Acts uh, verse, verse 22, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he became mighty in his words and deeds. So that was well known for Stephen to say that in the New Testament, to point that out, that that was who Moses had become in the first 40 years. He was trying to make something of himself. And academically, he was something in Egypt. Mighty in words and deeds. The Egyptians were known for their intelligence. We know this because when I looked in 1 Kings, I saw that they compared Solomon's wisdom, who we're told is the most wise man of all. They compared Solomon's wisdom to be greater than the people of the East and the Egyptians' wisdom. So they had, they had great wisdom, um, great intelligence. Moses learned from the best. He probably attended their version of Harvard and their version of MIT. 
And their version of that great football school who just beat the one from the South two years in a row. What's the name of that school? U of M, that's right, go blue. I gotta point that out, I'm sorry, you know. You gotta be excited if you're a Michigan fan after yesterday. But Moses took classes, hieroglyphics, probably, right? How to make mummies, you know? My personal favorite, how to walk like an Egyptian. You know, he, he took that class. So he's an intelligent man. He, he walked uh, like an Egyptian. And he, he, when he talked, do you remember the E.F. Hutton commercials? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Like that was Moses. When he talked, people listened. He was an intelligent man. And that was the first 40 years of his life. He made something of himself in Egypt. But now we see the next 40 years. The next 40 years. Um, something changed in Moses. You know, many of us, we, we hit those milestone birthdays. You know, I don't know if, if they brought out the cake, if they even did that, and they had 40 candles on there, and Moses blew out the candles, and he just, he had an awakening at age 40. I don't know. Maybe he had his midlife crisis or something. We don't know. But something changed when Moses turned 40. It says in verse 11 that one day Moses had grown up he went out to his people, and I underline this, he looked on their burdens. These were his people. And on those burdens, he saw an Egyptian was beating one of his people, a Hebrew. He looked upon their burdens. In Acts 7, it says, Stephen points out that when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Something changed in Moses' heart when he turned 40. Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, that's a big change, isn't it? I mean, you grew up for 40 years and you're living this pampered lifestyle. You can have anything you want. You just got to snap your fingers and it's yours. I mean, he's as wealthy as wealth can be. I mean, he, he, you can't be richer than Moses. He's powerful. He's intelligent. And yet it says here that he is going to give up. He refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in verse 25 it says, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God. And I like this part of the verse. Rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, that's something very important for us to understand as people. That sin is pleasurable to the body. Sin can feel good a lot of times. But it's always fleeting, isn't it? It's always temporary. You can, you can get high, you can do drugs, I mean, you can get drunk, you can, whatever your pleasure is, but it will go away, and it will not satisfy. Am I right? It doesn't. It can't. Because the only thing that can fill the hole in your heart is Jesus. The only one who can do it is God. So you can go on living a life like Moses was living. Feeding your flesh. Feeding that sin. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. And Moses finally chose to give it up. He said, it says in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He looked forward to the reward and by faith he left that, that lifestyle. In Egypt, 
not being afraid of the anger of the king, he endured as waiting for that invisible one. And this is our prayer, isn't it? For those people that we know that are living a life of sin. Gen- I mean, they're, they're just ignoring God. They're just, and, and it's so difficult in this lifestyle that we have here in America. Because we think like this is normal. When you grow up in it, you think it's normal. Good people. I'm not saying that because you're, we're all sinners. I mean, I'm just a, a beggar who found bread, man, and I'm sharing it with you. I mean, that's who I am. I'm a sinner just like you are. But um, sinners are good people, nice people, kind people. But when you reject God, and you just keep going for the sin, deep down inside, you're missing something. You're hurting. And we want eyes to be open to the truth. Isn't that our prayer? I know you're praying, you're praying for someone that their eyes would be open, that they would change the life that they're living, that they would be like Moses here and see the brokenness that's going on in their life and the tragedy and how they're, the, they needed help. And that's what we pray for. We pray for our loved ones to see that they need help, that Jesus died for them, that that old life is a life they need to put behind them and embrace a new life. And that's what Moses did. He did it after 40 years. For some of us, we did it earlier. Maybe we did it from the very beginning. I was 25 when my eyes were open. And I changed my life. But we pray for that in others. So, the next 40 years of life of Moses, the, sec- the next season, it's not going to be easy because God is going to show Moses that you, know, you tried to make yourself into something, but you're really nothing. Um, all those great deeds that you did, all that intellect, all that is like a filthy rag, according to Isaiah the prophet. And I won't get into what that means. Christians, though, don't worry. You don't have to wait 40 years. <laughs> Um, in Moses, it took 40 years of preparation. You know, it says, uh, one of the prophets says that uh, God takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, a tender heart, rather than a, a stubborn, hard heart. But I think that takes time. I think that's a process within itself. And I think that's why sometimes it takes longer for others. Maybe, maybe it won't take you that long if you have a you know, if you have a, a soft heart, and, and, but if you have a hard heart, uh, it might take a little longer. You know, you might be looking into those years. But I'm going to tell you something about God. He's not going to give up on you. God is relentless. And there's nothing that you can do or have done that would stop God from pursuing you. Nothing. There's so many people I know, and I hear that all the time, they say, man, what I've done, there's no way God can forgive me. That's a lie from the devil. God will forgive everything you've done. Nothing that you have done is unforgivable to God. So I hope you know that. God wants you to have his heart. His heart. So the next season is about to begin for Moses, but I do want to tell you how he hit the rock bottom. All right, because his plan, not God's plan, his plan was to rescue his people. He saw the burdens of his people. He looked upon them. It says in verse 12, 
His plan, right? Just got to—I mean, picture this. He looks this way and that way. I like how it just says that in the in the scripture. He looks this way and that. I mean, you know, something bad's about to happen when somebody does that, right? You know, it's like an off-color joke is coming. We look this way, you know, something. You're going to do something wrong. So he strikes down an Egyptian and he hides him in the sand, buries him, and then the next day he sees two Hebrews fighting together. And he says to the one who's wrong, he says, why are you fighting? Your, why do you strike your companion, your brother? He says, and I think this is important, who made you prince and judge over us? Who made you prince and judge over us? And he says, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses got a little bit afraid, fearful. He thought, surely it's known now. Everybody knows. And Pharaoh actually heard about it, and he sought to kill Moses. And Moses fled and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Well, we'll get to that part in a little bit here, but in Acts 7, uh, Stephen says that Moses supposed his brothers would understand that God was giving salvation to them by his hand. They didn't understand. Stephen was saying this after they crucified Jesus. Because Stephen saw Moses as a type of Jesus, a shadow of Jesus. It's not hard for us to see that today. I mean, the Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews rejected Moses. Right now, for the first time, and it won't be the last time, they continued to reject. In Exodus 2, they didn't see Moses as their Savior. They rejected him. What was Moses' plan, by the way? I mean, you're going to take out one Egyptian at a time? <laughs> That's a long plan. Um, but it didn't work because Pharaoh found out, and so Moses is on the run. What Moses didn't know is that God already had a plan in mind. It would take 40 years of preparation for Moses, but he didn't realize that. He just thought he would go ahead and get ahead of God. Don't do that, right? Don't get ahead of God. God's got a plan. In fact, you'll never confuse God's plan with your own plan. Because God's plan is way too radical. I mean, just think about it. If you, if you never read Exodus before and you don't know the plan, if you saw the movie The Ten Commandments, then you know the plan, all right? But here's the thing. I mean, think about it in a nutshell, right? He comes back. Moses comes back to Egypt with a snake stick. And then ten weird, nasty plagues occur in Egypt. And then they walk out of Egypt with plunder, like they, they plunder the Egyptians. And then they walk through a sea, and all the Egyptians die. Can any man come up with that plan? No way. Or should I say, no way, Mose. I know, they're cheesy sometimes. So Moses is running. He's not going to run north. Pharaoh has a treaty with the kings up there. He would be arrested and extradited. He goes southeast to a land called Midian. And the Midianites were actually descendants of Abraham. Not from Isaac and Jacob, but from Abraham. In Exodus 2.15, we see he sat down by a well. And then the priest of Midian, verse 16. Midian, uh, by the way, this priest probably worshipped the one true God because he came from Abraham. He had seven daughters. Can you imagine having seven daughters? The amount of beauty products in your house. I mean, a daily ritual of cleaning out the sink drain of hair. 
Seven daughters. These girls, though, probably weren't pretty princesses because they were lady shepherds, so they worked hard, they got a little dirty. They went out, it says in verse 16, and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And then trouble showed up, verse 17. Some other shepherds came and drove them away. Mean old shepherds picking on these ladies. And Moses sees it all, stands up, and saves them because you know what? He wasn't just smart and good looking. All right, he probably knew how to fight. And he fights these guys off. I mean, he's a gentleman. He's not a knight in shining armor. Okay, I didn't think they had it back then. He's a prince in Egyptian shiny cotton. Probably, I think. So, seven daughters, what do they do now? They go home and tell daddy. Verse 18, they come home to their father. His name was Ruel, but he actually goes by Jethro, as we'll see. He's not a hillbilly, folks, okay? Just because his name's Jethro. <laughs> Unless his sister's Ellie Mae. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go home and YouTube Beverly Hillbillies, okay? The clampets were funny. So Jethro says, how is it that you've come home so soon today? Like, that was quick, ladies. What happened? They said, well, an Egyptian, I think the Moses' clothes tipped him off, delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. He drew water for us. He watered our flock. And then the dad says to his daughters, well, where is he? I want to meet him. Why have you left him out there? Call him so that we can have dinner together. We can eat bread. But really, I mean, sometimes we can't quite see exactly what was going on here. I think Jethro had a, kind of a different thought process when he, he's like, okay, wait a minute. So let me get this right. Daughters of mine, my beautiful daughters. There was a man dressed in royalty, all right? And, and he rescued you. He, he beat up other shepherds and watered your flocks and you left him out there? Girls, how many times do I have to tell you when you see a man who has husband potential, you hold on tight to him. You left him? Go get him. Put on your sandals and go. Well, they did. And Moses was content, verse 21, to dwell with Jethro, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son. And I think the name is interesting, Gershom, because Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I think that really shows that Moses thinks that his days are going to end here. That this is it for Moses. He had 40 years of pampering, and now he's going to just live here and work and have a, a small family and that's it. But God's going to use this time to prepare Moses. Many of us think that sometimes, like, oh, I guess this is it. This is my lot in life. I'm just going to kind of live and, and, and just kind of... No. God can take an 80-year-old man and do something amazing. It's never too late to be used by God. For 40 years, Moses is going to hang out in the desert and get, well, what some would say, a uh, degree from the BSD Institute, the backside of the desert. You might recall David got that degree in the wilderness, and Paul went to Arabia to get his. It's a time of testing, 40 years of testing. In Exodus 3 next week, we'll see that the burning bush alerts Moses to his last and final season. 
But God wasn't just preparing Moses in the desert, he was also preparing the Hebrews. Back in Egypt, they're still enslaved. And it says in verse 23 to finish it off, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. So that Pharaoh that was trying to kill Moses died. The people of Israel were still groaning because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Don't misunderstand here. God doesn't decide to act because they cried louder. All right. He's just being patient and waiting for their hearts to be right. God heard their groaning. God remembered that covenant that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and he knew. He knew it was time. God desires a humble heart. I love this Psalm 51 from David. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. I'm not sure uh, what prompted you to come to church this morning to hear this message, to worship God. I hope in no way do you ever feel like the, that your presence is what pleases God. It's your heart that pleases God. So when we go through the motions, God doesn't recognize that. But when our heart is right, God does not despise that. That's what pleases God, when we have a broken heart that is turned towards him. So I don't know what season that you're in. Um, maybe you're still kind of living that life of pampering yourself, trying to make something of yourself. I hope you see that's a dead-end road. Or maybe you're in that time of testing, preparing, and God is showing you, yeah, you need to reconsider some things. That's a road under construction. I've been there, probably still there. Um, but then there's that last road, that heavenly road where you get to be used by God, where God ministers to many through you. And that's, that's where we need to strive for. And God will call us to that when it's his timing. But it's all a process, isn't it? It takes time. Most important thing is, is that our heart is right. Our heart is, is turned to God. And we just take one step at a time. I don't know where you're at right now, but whatever step you're on, just be looking to take the next step. I want to invite our band to come up and play our final song. First of the song, think about what you're saying to God. The song's called Lead Me to the Cross. And I think that's the step that we need to take. The step that says, I'm going to bend down, I'm going to get on my knees before the cross. I'm going to pour out my heart to the Lord at the cross. The cross is where we begin our journey. And we keep, keep turning to God. So I pray that that'll be this time for you. You can use this time to pray right where you are, sing the song. You can come to these steps and, and kneel down before the Lord. But whatever it is, wherever you're at, I pray that you'll just think about that next step that you can do to get closer to God and have a humble heart. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You love us and you're so patient with us. Father, how you took Moses for, for 40 years in the desert and just, you just broke down all those walls that he put up and you showed him how he can be something 
as long as he is focused on you. And I pray that for us today, Father. That we would see all of our things that we think we are good at. That we would just lay them at the foot of the cross. All the things that we think would keep us from, from you using us, we would just put them at the foot of the cross. Father, may it all come to you through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.